Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we are at the end of most competition cycles for wrestling, as well as there's been a lot of our fighters that have just finished up their fight camps and finished their fights. So we want to talk about what do you do right after competition or what do you do right after your fight so it's going to be called the post competition plan alex what's the first step well first step is to enjoy it man enjoy the competition appreciate all your effort take some pride in all of your preparation coming into your competition and and just celebrate the pure fact that you were the man in the arena you stepped up to bat you stepped into the cage and you you went for it right so I think a a huge part of this period in a season, in a fight camp, in anything, is to appreciate your work and uh, allow yourself to have that kind of mental reprieve and that appreciation. Yeah. No, I like it. And, And like Alex is saying, whether you won, whether you lost, whether you accomplished your goals or whether you didn't, whether it's a fight camp or wrestling season, it's a fucking grind. This is your time. This is your after competition that you get to have a little fun, whether you won or lost, you get to do some of your favorite things. You get to enjoy your family a little bit more. You get to go hang out with your friends a little bit more. You you get to be away from the sport for just a little bit because we don't want to be away from the sport for too long because as I like to say, no more fat camps, hashtag no more fat camps is one of my goals for my fighters. And and one of my main points is you got to get back in at some point and hopefully it's relatively soon, but we got to enjoy your favorite things first. Right. And I think it's important too, to have similar behaviors, whether you won or lost, right? Like it's that saying, like, don't get too high off a win. Don't get too low off a loss. Right. It's like, if you went to a, a three round decision, and you fought your balls off and you end up losing the decision, like there's still a physical toll on your body and you shouldn't be in the gym on Monday, the same as if you had won that split decision, right? So I think that there's learning and evaluation that's going to happen after both. Um, obviously, we're going to be harder on ourselves and we're going to you know, hate the, the, the feeling of a loss a lot and be more bitter than we are off a win. But if the process can look similar and even the like the emotional processing of it can be, you know, a systematic approach or a more professional game plan, I think that's going to bode well for us as competitors and as uh, developing human beings as well. Yeah, I mean, I will say that is much easier said than done as oh, somebody know, that's lost bigger matches in my life and mm-hmm. I didn't know how to shake it. Yeah, sure. The only way to shake it is to jump back in and try to right your wrongs. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't disagree with you. You should treat it, whether it's this, whether it's a win or a loss. As long as you went out there and did your all, you should enjoy after the fight or after the season. But I a thousand percent understand if you want to jump back in and get that taste out of your mouth too. And but- while that's not the best habit to have, it's a lot better than taking two months off and getting fat. I totally agree. But there, and I think that's the next kind of point we have to address. There is a need for rest and a need for your body to heal. Um, but you like a, a trap that 
I think is less common than it used to be for sure is this uh, prolonged layoff type of thing. Yes. Like I'm not going to train until my next thing's booked. Like I think that that's been Cyril Gan just said that. I believe oh, he just man. said, I'm lazy. I don't train unless I have a fight. And I, I think that's so that's, fucking bullshit. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't point blank. Like he may not like train in a sense of he's not like mentally sharp and in it, but that dude's still in the gym. Yeah, there's no way if if he doesn't train and he looks like that, <laughs> God, I'm afraid. Jesus Christ, because yeah. he might be the greatest fighter to ever walk this earth if he gets a work ethic. Um, <laughs> right. But I would probably call him a liar and say, I bet you he's training, just not as high of an intensity. So what's a good time frame, a good window to rest or take off after your fight, after your wrestling season? Like what's what's a good reset for your body? My general rule of thumb is one to three weeks. It depends yeah. on how long. So if it's a wrestling season, if we're talking about like college wrestlers, you should probably take about three weeks off mm-hmm. because wrestling season's a freaking grind, bro. Yeah. Like it's so long. It's from October all the way to March and your body just gets beat down based off yeah. of all those different weigh-ins you have to do. Yeah. Um, if it's a, maybe you took a five week fight camp. You could, you could get away with just taking a week off and jumping back in and trying to start moving your body again. Um, yeah. But I, I think it all depends on what you put your body through, when your next competition is, because some people already have their next competition ready. Like if we're talking about wrestling again, you could yeah. finish up the college season and then jump right into, well, guess what? End of April, there's going to be university nationals. So you got to prepare yourself for the freestyle and Greco season too. Yeah. So then your layoff is probably only going to be a week and a half. If any, like you, you need a break, but you're only going to have a shorter break because you have to start preparing yourself, preparing your body, preparing your mind for the change in style for what you're about to go into. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of any wrestling season or at the end of any camp, there's definitely injuries, the injuries that you've put off too, or even injuries that you definitely sustained during the fight. Right. Yeah, so, thousand percent. so that's the time to get those addressed too. Like if you, if you, you know, like if your knee has been bothering you for three months, but you have a competition coming up and you can't quote unquote, can't address it. Then right now is the time to address it. So that may be a a time for more time out of training or less intense training, or like, let's say you're in your fight and you broke your hand. Gotta take some time off for that. Like you, you may be able to do some other things, but you literally just have to let your body heal. And to our point in a earlier podcast and a phrase that Austin loves, you can't cheat Philly physiology. Like you have to allow your body time to heal. Well, and post-competition, like the post-competition plan is one of my favorite times as a healthcare practitioner yeah. because that's when I kind of get free reign and I can, if I want to fix biomechanics, I have the time to do so. If I want right. to heal, if I want to help them heal injuries, I have the time to do so. I can make massive changes after competition because I know that as long as this athlete is a high performer, he's going to, he or she is going to be highly invested into what we're trying to do and highly invested into the rehab process or the treatment process or whatever we need to do to combat all of the injuries that piled up throughout the training for that competition. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful kind of natural time for a reset, right? You get a reset. I get to do all the fun shit. I get to do all the rehab that I love to do. It's not just a bunch of like pushing on tissue and stuff that really doesn't make a long-term impact like, like our muscle work and like that does. 
rehab and biomechanic work are what's going to make the longest term impact on that athlete's career. Yeah. It's just, you can't add that into the camp or add that into season for the most part, because that elevates their workload. And they already have such a high workload that you have to be able to just focus on what you can. Yeah. But out of that, their workload should be lower. It should right away for the first probably six ish weeks, their workload should be lower than what they were doing in camp. So that's where I have my time that even though they want to rest, they want to relax, they want to do whatever, which they should be doing. I have my time that I can actually increase the workload that I'm giving them because I know that they have the mental bandwidth and the physical yeah. bandwidth to then go into the rehab setting and focus on what I'm asking them to do without just focusing on the person they have to fight in eight weeks. Right. And, and a not so good term for this, but the way that I kind of look at it is like, is like junk volume, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not meaningless volume, but it's excessive reps that you, when you're in camp, you just literally can't afford, right? You can't afford mm -hmm. that extra volume of the hard work at rehab after you've already done hard work and strength conditioning, hard work at practice, hard work at your extra session and hard works at an extra conditioning session, right? You can't afford those extra reps in a rehab setting where right now you're not pushing all that extra stuff because you're literally building back in. So it's a good time to expand on those reps to spend the meaningful time in those extra volume type of states. Well, and most of the time, it's not that they physically can't withstand it. Most of the time, it's mentally they cannot commit to what I'm asking them to do when yeah. their mind is a million different places in the competition season or in a, in a fight camp, whatever it may right. be. Outside, or outside of that, I know that their mental bandwidth isn't as high or isn't as overloaded because they don't have as many things to focus on. They're focusing on, Oh, am I going to go to the bar with my buddies after wrestling hmm. season? Yeah. Oh, am I going to, am I going to go to the club? Oh, am I, what am I going to do with my family when I get home? They're focusing yeah. on different things that allow me to be like, Hey, ha, look at this over here. Let's focus on this thing. That's going to make you better for your next three fights. And as yeah. long as I fr frame it in a way like that, typically almost everybody I work with buys in and, and kind of jumps in full force when I know that I can get them, in the right time frame. Right. And that's what I was saying earlier. It was like a good natural reset of your physical health that you can address that and kind of reset that process more towards your long-term goals. Right. You can do the same thing. And I would argue that you should do the same thing with your technical, tactical and strategical uh, game plan. Right. That's a good time to study your film of the fight. What, you know, what did, what positions did you have success with in a wrestling season? What positions did you struggle? Like it's a beautiful time to reflect on your technicality and on your technique in a lot of places, your strategy, your mat, uh, mat awareness, things like that. You can address those from a more 10,000 foot view or a fixing the problem type of view, not mm -hmm. like what we do in camp or towards the end of season, which is highlight our strengths and try and maximize those. Right. So it's a good time to reset on your physical health and rehabilitation process. It's also a good time to reset in your technical tactical game. A hundred percent. It allows you to become more skillful. Like we did a whole podcast on it. I've done a whole blog post on it. It's, it's the Mario Kart principle. Yeah. As soon as you finish up camp, you should be trying to become as good of an athlete as possible, as well-rounded as you possibly can mm -hmm. be. We're going to lift up the floors and we're trying to focus on making you as bulletproof as possible in every single facet of the game. Right. Healthcare, strength and conditioning, nutrition, rehab. It doesn't fucking matter. Skill sets. Yeah. We're going to build your skill sets up to the level 
where we know that there's as little holes as possible. As soon as we get into camp, however, as soon as we get into prime time in the wrestling season or any sort of competition season, then we have to focus on your ceilings that are going to put you closer to your goal with which your competition is focused around. But on the skill side of things, I think right after camp is a right after the competition and right after competition season, that's a good time to start layering in our gamification as much as possible to bring people back to, in my mind, why they love the sport in the first place. It's, it's almost like you have to entice them to get them back into the practice room because they just finished up this, this huge feat, whether they won or they lost, they just got into a fight or whether they won the national championship, they all American or they didn't even make the tournament. They just had an entire five month season. You want to bring them in with something that's going to make them enjoy what they're doing. That's where we can do play wrestling. That's where we could play spike ball. That's where we can play handball. I know ASU does a lot of handball games and stuff like that, or like Russian basketball has been being played recently Hmm, with the, the Habib team. But this is where we get to focus on making them increasing athletic tendencies through different means that are similarly related to your sport. Oh, absolutely. And that, it's a good place to um, like add new skills and play around with maybe even like a new martial art. Right. Yep. Or like if you've never really been a jujitsu guy, like kind of dive into jujitsu. That's a lot less impact on your body. That's something that's a little more gentle or like, you know, as a wrestler, I've, I know a couple judo throws, but I've never gotten into judo, right? Maybe I can add some judo into my arsenal, right? Yeah, Which is or, something you look at as fun, right? The topic, exactly, right? Like the topics are um, a lot lighter in a sense. Like we're about to start our spring wrestling season and my, my agenda, like literally priority number probably two is to have fun, right? Like when you are, I'm in the wrestling season, like priority one is like win, Priority two is enhance our techniques and work hard and have intensity, right? Two or three. And then we go down the list from there. And like fun inside the wrestling season is like seven or eight, nine or 10 or whatever. But like for my spring season, it's literally probably number two right behind get better at wrestling, right? 100%. So it's like we need to make sure we layer in some, some small sided games, some fun. Like we're about to have our first practice. We're already going to play a lot of toe tag. We're going to do um, like a super duck. We're going to learn on the first day. It's going to be fun. And then I like, I think we're going to start end the day with a spike ball tournament. Heck yeah. And right. That's going to make the kids excited to come into practice for the next time yeah. and the next time and the next time. And then you get to layer in your different leg laces, which are so unique to folk style wrestlers that have never done freestyle, right? right. Leg laces are fucking fun to do. You're yeah. topsy turvy. You're spinning around on the mat. You're getting points for barely doing any work. For the most part, if you lock up a good mm-hmm. a good leg lace, if you get a really good lock, that's almost effortless. Yeah, and so you're done it, in thirty seconds. Exactly, it's like I, I think even. the fastest tech I ever had was fourteen seconds. It's yeah. just I had a single leg roll, right roll, into roll, roll, four roll. leg laces in a row. Yep. and like it's it's fun, but you have to frame it in the context of fun. You can't frame freestyle and Greco wrestling in the context of. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early, and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, 
and more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop mixed in water once a day and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early and home late, so having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. Grinding, because yeah. as soon as you do so, it reminds them of the season they just did for five months. Oh, just like goodness, yeah. athletes that just finish up their fights shouldn't just jump right back into a grinder wrestling practice uh, like two weeks later. That's mm-hmm. That completely defeats the purpose. <laughs> right. <laughs> like They should probably do a ramping phase of maybe they hit mitts right away. They do the fun parts of MMA. Maybe they're just yeah. kicking the bag or they're or doing focus on striking work or maybe they're focused on like a different new jujitsu setup for what they want to do or just learning new skills that are a little bit outside of their norm, if you yeah. will. Yeah, and I think to your point, there's games and outside influences that you can start to play, like gamification and stuff. That's just going to expand your picture as an athlete, period. And I think that's where we can get into on the strength and conditioning front is like now is when we can attack weaknesses or we can just become more athletic, period, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can go into like a GPP phase. And when we think about general physical prep, I think everybody just makes that a synonym to capacity. Right. General physical preparation doesn't have to be capacity. No. General physical preparation is exposing somebody to every output that they're going to see on the strength or the speed and velocity. Oh my goodness. Strength velocity curves, right? <laughs> so, right. Basics. Um, so you can ex- expose somebody to like an alactic sprint. If that's not the athlete that they are, let's learn it right now because it's going to have a high cost. Anything that you're bad at is pretty much high cost. 
right? I've, I've found a lot, like a lot of my grappling based athletes, their GPP phases are actually a lot of plyometrics because they're fucking terrible at them. Horrible. Awful, <laughs> man. Oh my God. Dude, I, uh, yeah, I started implementing single leg plyometrics like day one with the wrestling team. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, all right, we got where I wanted to be in week three and we got there in month three. Yeah. Like I joke all the, like I joke all the time with all of my athletes. I am not an athlete. I like, I wasn't an athlete. I was a wrestler and yeah. it shows every time I try to show a plyometric fucking awesome. because I can do like a single leg. Like I've been doing a lot. Like I have a couple athletes that are in there right after fight, jumping back into GPP grappling based. So mm. we're doing a lot of single leg, like a hurdle hop into a single leg box jump, stuff like oh, that. Yeah. So when I show people how to do that, I mean, I'm doing it at like 18 inches. Yeah. Like gotta, I'm barely, and I'm barely to practice a little bit, buddy. Well, how um, is that going to serve me, Alex? It's, it's not something I can demo competently that. in front of your athletes. I can exactly at 18 it, inches. Well, I mean, get better and then at it. I just put another six inch time. on top and they can go. <laughs> oh, perfect, man. But no, it, I totally agree. Like that was my argument forever. Like, and I use like a football analogy. Everybody thinks like football and these premier athletes, which they are super fucking athletic, high level football players. And it's like, for me, I could not run anybody and I wasn't going to juke you out. So I had to go through you. And that's where I thrived, right? Hitting people harder, wrestling. And uh, well, that's actually where I think I've shocked people and made the biggest impact with my athletes is the football players I work with because I treat them like an athlete. I don't treat them like a football player. So like my linemen that I'm working with, like I'm having them do like high volume sets. Their in season work is no more than four reps. I'm having them do like 30 reps just because they have to be as well-rounded as possible. Mm -hmm. We know if you elevate capacity, you're going to recover faster. If you recover faster, like aerobic work, Oh my God, I'm making a fucking football player do aerobic work. And that sounds like that, like strength coaches in the football world would like just joke and laugh and like say I'm an idiot. But guess what? Aerobic capacity work helps you recover faster. If you recover faster, you play in a hurry up offense, like say the Arizona Cardinals. Well, guess the fuck what? Then you're going to be ready faster on every single play that you do. Dude, every, uh, I'm very generalized and stigma. I'm making a big stigma here, but every football strength catcher, you know, they're so scared of losing weight. They cannot mm-hmm. like, and that's why you don't do, they yep. don't do those big sets or they don't do capacity work. Cause it's like, Oh my God, this 320 pound athlete that can't move now weighs 280. Fuck. But they're well, three times the athlete. But <laughs> people like, don't realize that hypertrophy can come in different ways. It's hypertrophy all di- comes from everything. Exactly. And that's what I feel like is lacking, at least in my experience, when I talk to other people that work with higher level football players is you can still get hypertrophy gains from high volume sets, right? My, the athlete I'm closely working with right now, he's a lineman for the saints and he's doing, I mean, like shit, like he's actually put on two pounds and we just finished up our first, first month, which had three density circuits of eight to 15 minutes a piece in there. So he's doing aerobic work as he's doing everything. A lot of the arm farms are like the reps of 30, not like heavyweight curls. And then we're doing nothing was beneath eight reps all the way through, even his strength work. And guess what? This guy still put on a couple pounds right after season because he needed to. And because that was a, a hole in what he was doing. 
right? And yeah. not just what he's doing, what almost every lineman ever does. Yeah. But if we try to bulletproof that athlete, which I think should be the focus of the first phase of the offseason, it's just bulletproofing, then everything else gets better and better and better. If you lay a better framework or a better foundation, you can build a pretty fucking cool house. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think, like you said, treat, treat it, especially I think linemen get so cornered into this niche of your alignment period right and you Fucking just need bench to, press you bro. just need to be bigger you need yep. to be bigger and absolute strength and, and it's like like and i think again just observationally like the nfl is growing into yes these motherfuckers are still big but now they're all athletic too like some of the linemen that i see come through man and it's just completely unfair how quick and mobile and powerful and agile they are at Fuck fucking yeah. at 275 300 pounds and i'm just like jesus christ and they're no longer like oh that's a lineman it's like that is a scary human dude i think my buddy ran he's like 3 he was at like 308 at the combine or some shit like that i think he ran like a 52 or a five one. No thanks, bro. <laughs> like, get the fuck uh, out of here. That like, thing I is, can't. I can, I run like a seven. That thing is not the same species as us. <laughs> oh man, yeah, you definitely run a seven. That's what? that's some that's some fun shit. Like uh, for a long time, and I guess we can rein it back in after this. But in our post competition plan, like talking about exposing athletes to some fun things, like grapplers. Some MMA guys are really bad at plyos, you found. Like, that's a good time to teach somebody how to run, mm-hmm. right? If you teach them how to run in their, uh, like, uh, post-competition plan, then they can use that skill moving forward, right? And you don't have to super focus on it, put them on a six-month cycle of it. But, like, let's get a gate down so mm-hmm. that you're not tearing yourself up while you go on runs well they all they all want to run and they all want to do sprints but their form is trash so like that's actually i've been doing the same thing i've been having people do rotational start uh sprints just for like Mm -hmm. 20 yards yeah but i had the good fortune of working with altis for a year so i got to see some of the best sprint coaches in the world do their fucking thing and i'm like now i see myself like at the time i was like when the fuck am i ever gonna use this yeah and now I'm like, oh shit, I'm using it. Like I'm using the shit that I saw Stu do or I saw um, Andreas do and just yeah. seeing seeing the different shapes that runners are supposed to be moving in yeah. and staying compact and staying free flowing. And that's helping my fighters a lot because I've noticed a lot of fighters if we're talking about trying to increase velocity. They just get within their first five yards, within their first three steps, they're at peak height. they don't know how to fall forward into a sprint yet they're doing all this quote-unquote sprint work right and uh, yeah a wrestler sprint and like conditioning sprints are so different than actual sprinting yes and and for a large part like i still don't want to focus exclusively to that especially in fight camp but it's a skill worth learning right that's that's how you can push that output of speed too so to a degree it's worth coaching hard um so I think the next point in our post-competition plan, um, at least what I was thinking, is not waiting too long to be healthy or stay consistent with yeah. your health plan, right? Like I, I know guys indulge, especially post-weigh-ins, post-fight. You have to put a pretty um, short time limit on that indulgence, right? Like, yes, you might not be training super hard for a week, two weeks, three weeks in that time frame. That doesn't mean exclusively eat shit three to five meals a day for that whole time, right? Like we have to, as much as it's a time to reset, 
everything like you talked about, we can reset some of our nutritional habits and some of our, our, our just plain flat out health standards like and, and hygienic type of stuff. So I think that's really important that we don't wait too long to jump back into or to improve upon our daily health. Right. I think it's a good rule. And this kind of brings it full circle to the first question you asked me was a good rule is a week for fun, a week for planning, and then jump the fuck back in. Yeah. Right. It's a week of fun. Go do, go be crazy. Go do your shit. Do what you got to yeah. do to get the demons out that you just kept in for the last, yeah. whether it be five months, eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever your camp was or whatever your season was. Yeah. And then after that, you should have a week of planning. How are you going to get better in your next competition phase? How are you going mm-hmm. to get to your goals and what are your future goals? And then once you plan that out, then we just jump the fuck in and we do what we got to do. But if you don't try to have a week of planning or if you don't have an active plan going in, how the fuck are you going to get better? Like I've had fighters that I've been, I've been proud. Like they come in, they fight, they take a week for fun. Then they come into me and they're like, Hey, I want to get better at my straight punches. I I, I was looping a lot in my last fight. That's Mm -hmm. kind of like, that's kind of what's gotten me a lot of success so far. But I think if I hammer in my looping punches and I bring them a little bit more straight, that's going to allow me to knock out better guys. Boom. There we go. Then we have something we can focus on because then in my strength and conditioning too, I can layer in, Hey, guess what? If he wants to get better at straight punches, well, we're going to do extremely linear movements. We're going to do a Kaiser push pull straight through. We're going to do landmine press. And instead of looping into a J hook, we're just going to rotate through the T spine and keep a linear path. Like there's different ways I can modify what I have them do based around their goals in strength and conditioning. So, but that all comes from them establishing a weakness, reflecting on what they want to do or what they want to get better at. And then we put a plan in place moving forward through all of their training, not just one part, not just two parts, all of the parts. Yeah, man. Yeah. That reflection period and that planning is so pivotal because it gives you a direction, right? Like a lot of times all we need is a direction and then we can take off and like the, the quote unquote like work ethic or grind is going to take care of itself. As long as we're pointed in this right direction and we've accurately reflected and game planned, which I think a hundred percent a coach can help you with. I think it's really beneficial to do on your own first or um, at least initially, but I think a coach can help you in that process. Um, it's so pivotal to get better right like uh, I've, I've been on a kick of saying like intentional work mm-hmm. right like we can't just be like oh well yeah i fought last week and now i'm back in the gym let's see what happens right like i don't think that's gonna uh, I, I know that's not gonna be get you the best results right so you do the reflection you are honest like brutally honest with yourself and there's a couple different methods for reflection like one of my favorite is just journaling Right. Like you can look back either through your journal or you can journal going ahead or like, this is what I saw. This is what I like. This is a behavior that I need to address. Maybe like maybe I was constantly, you know, running from practice to strength and conditioning all camp and I don't want to do that anymore. Reflect and maybe address it. Dude, the big one I always see or I have been seeing recently is oh, I'm running from practice to practice and I'm not packing meals or I'm running from practice to practice and I don't have meal prep, shit like that. They're not fueling in between sessions. And this isn't just one athlete or two athletes. This is a good majority of the athletes that I've seen. And that's something I've had to like try to nip in the butt 
but it's something that consistently keeps popping up in reflections mm-hmm. is, oh, I need to be better at fueling my body so that I'm not exhausted for my second workout because now I'm just wasting a workout if I'm not fueling. 100%. I think that's a, that's a key point too that coaches can do better on because I know as many athletes that do that, there's two coaches that do that where they just yeah. schedule back-to-back-to-back sessions, back-to-back. Now i got to drive here. Now i got to go there. And like, yeah, you're coaching, but you're not giving any credit to your own uh, health and worth during the workout, right? Especially coaches, athletes, like athletes, Me, if you're, I do, I do that. Right. But if you're, if you're so concerned <laughs> with going practice to practice and you don't feel, or you're super stressed cause you're going to be late or, or whatever, like that second workout isn't work, worth shit, right? Like you're just, you're doing it to say you did it. And then like I've had multiple athletes where we're just like, Hey, you don't need to be doing strength and conditioning right now. Like go home, take some rest, get yourself together. And then right. we'll hit this another time. I'm not kicking you out because I'm disappointed or anything wrong or whatever. You got to go home because this is not beneficial for you right now. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, um, so I think a, a good understanding of that is going to help and like not being so preoccupied with being productive, but be preoccupied with your intentional work. I like it. And Dope. I think that is a, a a good amount of things that people can work on right after competition phases. It's a, it's a good post-competition plan. I see you there. The PCP. Mm, well, that's something else, but that's okay. <laughs> all right, y'all. So that is our post-competition plan. If you guys get to get in touch with us, all of our information is in the show notes. That's going to be emails and Instagrams. We also have Building a Fighter programs available for purchase. That's going to be our monthly memberships. So I always call them monthly memberships. They're actually three-week memberships. Um, And it's a recurring. Every three weeks, you get new programming that filters through. So every 21 days, you get a new program. That's going to be anywhere between $30 to $45 based off of the level of package you subscribe to. We also have presets and custom programs available for you. So that's at buildingafighter.com. I'm Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out.